Hello and welcome to episode 81 of the Reds Unrestricted podcast. I'm your host Chloe Bloxham and I'm joined by David Comerford to discuss this week's Liverpool news and look ahead to Liverpool's first game back at Anfield in the new season where they play Crystal Palace. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Uh, Obviously, Liverpool played Fulham in the opening game of the season. It didn't go the way the Reds wanted. We all know that. Um, But I decided, I don't know about you, David, I went on Twitter for all five minutes. And and bear in mind, I was at the ground. um, And I was on a coach home, and it took me... About an hour and a half just to get past the roundabout, which is by like Wembley Way. Um, and after five minutes of going on Twitter or whatever, I just had to get myself off it. I do, what did you think? Um, what did you? Th- how do you think social media reacted after everything that happened against that Fulham game? Well, I thought it was a massive overreaction, personally. Um, and I think what's kind of telling is when I kind of put that down on the on the agenda. I wrote sort of how did they react to the Fulham loss, and then I was like, "Hang on, we didn't actually lose that game. It was it was a draw, you know. We we did actually get something from it, but I think it, it was kind of a, a telling, like Freudian slip or, or whatever you want to call it, because the way it's kind of been painted, it feels like that. I don't know, it it won't feel like that point does as much good, um, especially against a team that has just come up and and regardless of how well they played, uh, Fulham and they were sort of really good in that game. I'm still very, very confident that they're going to get relegated and they'll be 19th or 20th come the end of the season, to be honest. So the point doesn't feel like it's worth much. Um, but it feels like to me that people are making it out. And I don't think this is actually fully restricted to just the Liverpool fan base. I think there's certain people in the media too um, that, that are saying this. People are acting like the league's over already. Um, and I think the fact that the Haaland obviously scored twice uh, on his debut for City against West Ham, has kind of amplified that a little bit, and people are thinking, "Oh God, it, it's basically the end, the end of the world." Really, um, from a football perspective, and I just think people need to realise that it's one game. And if say if you look at last season, for example, and if you draw the conclusions from the first round of fixtures, you know City obviously lost their game, for example, last season, um, Arsenal lost as well. I think because it's the first game, everyone wants to sort of piece the whole season together from that moment but you just can't do that um, and I think the fact that it's been sort of called by by some people already is a bit ridiculous to be fair and we've got to remember that Liverpool beat Man City last last weekend well the weekend before last um, in the Community Shield they beat probably the, the best team in the world and then obviously messed up against Fulham for, for reasons I'll get onto in a sec but like that you know the result last weekend needs to be put in that perspective because the true reflection of our quality, I think, was was a week before when when we sort of outplayed how played City, I thought. And obviously, it all keeps coming back to the midfielder thing, the midfielder issue. And I said when we were previewing the season last week, I was like, I think Liverpool should have bought a new midfielder. And I think in that game and across the season as a whole, we could do with someone who's sort of like in their peak years or sort of like twenty five. Um, kind of athletic midfield, the technical gifted, all, all that sort of thing. And I think, you know, maybe Henderson shouldn't necessarily be starting um, in that game. Um, but I also think you've had people go essentially going through the midfield from tweets that I've seen and writing 
essentially every player off, whether that's because their fo- of their form, their age, their injury record, the lack of experience. And I just think while there are problems maybe with each midfielder to varying degrees, it's nowhere near as bad collectively as it's being made out. You know, we have to remember how much this team has achieved in very recent history. Um, and I also think that the midfield wasn't even a huge issue in that Fulham game. And that's what people are coming back to. They're saying this this game showed why we need the new midfielder. And in turn, that shows why Liverpool are going to struggle this season. So, yes, Henderson was poor when he was playing as a number eight. I thought he was better when he moved back. Um, but that's a, a, another sort of issue, really. But then you also had Van Dijk getting the run around from Mitrovic. That was one of his worst games for Liverpool. I'd say top 10, top 10 worst performances. He was really poor. And I also thought we missed we missed big chances kind of either side of our um our sort of second equaliser and we could have killed the game in that spell of thought. And the thing I want to ask you about Chloe, because I'm conscious I've basically just sort of been talking for a while now, is what what Klopp was saying about the kind of complacency, or he kind of hinted at it, he was like the attitude wasn't right. And I thought that what he maybe meant by that, and something I kind of picked up myself as well was like the players thought maybe because they beat in City last weekend, like I mentioned, that they were going to sort of come come to Craven Cottage, play as they have done the past few years, play the, the winners of the championship and just kind of like roll them over and just prove far too good for them. Um, and really, that's not the kind of thing we normally see from Liverpool. I see them obviously been hailed a lot for for their mentality. So do you think that's like, I mean, first of all, do you agree that that was like part of the problem against Fulham? Um, and also... Is that maybe a bigger concern for you, if if that is the case, than the actual results, I suppose? Yeah, I, I think I was there at the game and it was graph to watch. We were second to every single ball. It, it just looked like we didn't want it as much. It looked like Fulham had shown... If you were to just forget the badges and the, the kits that they were in, if on that day you asked me and I didn't know the two teams that were playing or anything, who'd been playing and challenging for the title in the Premier League the last hour of many seasons, I'd have said Fulham because they just, they had desire, they got the crowds up. Our, our game management from the off was absolutely appalling. I don't know why the first 10, 15 minutes we don't just keep the ball and take the sting out of the atmosphere. It wasn't rowdy anyway in the crowd. But as soon as Mitrovic, I think there's a ball that, that Matic does and it's absolutely crap to, to Henderson. And Henderson can't do much with it. Henderson loses the ball. And on the counter, it ends up to Mitrovic's feet. And he's running at us from outside the box. And we all just drop off and no one goes to him. And he puts it just past the post. And that was your first warning sign. And no one in a Liverpool share thought to themselves, OK, that's just got the crowds up even more. Let's keep the ball. Let's keep everyone moving and just pass it side to side. I don't care how boring it is. Just for the first 15 minutes, take the sting out of the atmosphere. Make it boring. Make it ugly. Um, and Liverpool, instead, they were absolutely all over the place. And I, I tell you what shocked me even more. And I think this also links into where Jürgen Klopp was talking about the... Um, the attitude of the players. Some of those lads have had the worst game I've ever seen in a red shirt by them. And only four of them decided to come to our end. Who, by the way, I'm just going to use Mig. I got up at 10 to 4 to then travel all the way down to Fulham. To then go the game and spend 
even longer getting back home because of the the sheer carnage of how many how much traffic there was in London, and only four players came over and clapped the travelling cop. Um, and I think it was disgraceful. And I've called Virgil Van Dyke out because I absolutely love the lad. But he walked off, didn't acknowledge us. He was by our end and he just walked straight over to the tunnel. Not a wave, not a clap, absolutely nothing. The only players that came over were Henderson, Milner, Harvey Elliott um, and Alison Becker. And Nunes, when we started chanting his name, clapped from afar, but that was it. They were the only players that came over and could stand there and clap the travelling cop who literally paid their hard-earned wages to go and watch that absolute crock of shit that was that was on the pitch. It was extremely hard to watch because of how bad we were. Um, and then it, after it, it wasn't like it even, sorry, lads, we'll be better next week. Thanks for your, your support. It was very much get me off this pitch, get me away, which I can slightly understand, but... Never, ever, ever walk off that football pitch. I don't care if you lose 9-0. Do never walk off that football pitch and not appreciate the fans who've travelled everywhere following you. It really did me head in. And there was people there. I didn't even realise um, Virgil van Dijk hadn't clapped us until he were like, they were screaming Virgil's way, saying, like, basically clap us, what are you doing? And he just headed straight down the tunnel and ignored us. Um, and I think I think that was a that was a part of it, and we we didn't have the right attitude in the game. We didn't play well. Even you know we get back into it with that Nunes goal, and you think, yeah, this is us. There's only one team scoring now, and then Matip just passes them the ball, which I don't even I don't even know who he's aiming at. I've watched it several times, and I just don't know who he's aiming this ball at. But he did it, and it leads to a penalty. That's a goal. Um, I, I think from the off, the, the, everyone was just trying to do the hardest passes instead of just the simple movement and keeping the ball. Um, and I'll obviously let you come in on this, but it, was, it wasn't great to see it on the pitch, the attitude, but the attitude after the full-time whistle was even worse. Yeah, I just wanted to to pick up on, uh, on what you were saying there, really, because I saw something about this on, on Twitter, um, this thing about... Not not many players coming over, only a handful of them doing so. Um, I guess, do you think that that's sort of symptomatic of a, a bit of a problem with the attitude? It's almost like they turned up there and they've expected to win the game. And then when they didn't, they've just almost had a little bit of a strop, it feels like. Um, and obviously in connection with that, I'd say, like, do you reckon Klopp will... Is that something you think Klopp's going to be attentive to? And you think Klopp will make sure that the players know that that's kind of not acceptable and... You know, we'll give them a sort of a rockers up their arses kind of approach. Um, and also, you know, being in the away end, you said you weren't really, haven't really been engaged too much with maybe the social media side. What did you, what was kind of the reaction among the people that were there, um, that, that were at the stadium and, and kind of like tra- traveling back up to Liverpool? Like, because obviously, I think you, you sort of made it clear before um, on here that you think that that's kind of, um, the much better representation, really, of the sentiment within the fan base. Was there a feeling of that was just an off day for quite a few players and it's culminated in a poor result? Or did you sense a bit more kind of worry about what that kind of might mean um, over the course of the season? 
I think it's different because it's Fulham who's your opposition. The first thing I said on a video afterwards was, I don't know how you go on to win a league if you're dropping points against newly promoted side Fulham. And it's true. I think in 18-19, where we lose it by a point to City, we drew to Fulham away. You cannot drop points in these games. I mean, you look at last season, we couldn't win against the top six. We re- we, we struggled against Chelsea. We struggled against Tottenham. Obviously, City... So, you know, we've now, when you look at those top six games, we've got to come away with more than what we did last season. I knew you wanted to do that anyway because you needed to slightly improve to get a point ahead of, of City. But I genuinely, I don't know how you can win the league by dropping points to Fulham. And that's a case of it's Fulham. City aren't going to drop points to Fulham. There's absolutely no way. Um, we can we can beat City and and get those points, um, and City odds against them they can't win every single game they're gonna have to drop points somewhere so Liverpool have to capitalise at those times, but of course there's an advantage to City because we've just dropped points to a side that shouldn't come anywhere near Liverpool, um, and I think that the feeling on the day was very much that is like we played absolutely awful. The, the the atmosphere around the ground was that was shocking. Too many players were crap. They didn't show up. The obviously the attitude wasn't correct. Um, and everyone was fuming about, about people not coming over to clap us. The the other case was just game management. We just didn't control any part of the game. You know, I think Nunes scores with like twenty minutes to go, maybe, maybe 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 fifteen. Just keep the ball and keep it like. You don't need to force things. You've still got 15 minutes. They're going to crap themselves. You've just scored. You're going to come again. And instead, we, we just did stupid things. It was just individual errors that you don't usually see in a Liverpool side. And after it, it was a case of all of us just saying, right, let's let's forget that result. It's absolutely crap. Binny, go again. We've got 37 games left to go. Anything can happen, which is true. I, I You know, I'm not saying that the season's over. I just I don't know how you can lose to Fulham and then somehow you 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 you're setting yourself an even harder task than it already was to beat the city side and we came up short on several occasions against them because of how good they are. Never mind dropping points to Fulham, it felt like a loss. Um, but I I think everyone, especially when you're on a five-hour coach journey back, I think everyone was just a bit like, just forget it. You know, just just. Let's let's focus on 37 games left, left to go. We're just going to have to beat the teams that we couldn't beat last season and turn the draws against the top six last season into wins. And we've got to take something off City. Um, and it, it was a case of, I, I think, Tottenham. Um, I think Tottenham... James Ward-Prowse scored for Southampton against Tottenham and I think someone on the coach just turned around and went, maybe it's just first day of the season. Maybe everyone's just, just a bit tired, not concentrated or whatever. Obviously, they turned it around and won. Where Liverpool just could not. It was it was like there wasn't a brain in sight on that football pitch. You needed someone to stand up and just say, "Lads, calm yourselves down. Just pass the ball about and stay calm with it." Even at one nil down, um. So yeah, it it was a case of a lot of us being really, really like devastated, but also just deflated. It's the first game of the season against the newly promoted side. Um, and with that deflation, because we had long journeys back home and we were all on a coach together, it was very much like, let's spin it into a positive way and not think about it anymore. Let's just look ahead. 
Um, and that's that that's what we did anyway. I mean, I didn't really go on social media because social media just is a bit unbelievable. Um, and you've mentioned your side of social media. People took it out of context, which I can understand a lot of people being. I mean, it, once again, dropping points to Fulham is just not good enough. If you're challenging City, it's just not good enough. We all know it, but the the hate that individuals were getting. Oh, I, I can't stand being on it when it's like that because there's no way I'd ever attack Jordan Henderson saying it. If like if Jordan Henderson came over and clapped us and he, he got a round of applause, yeah, he was shit, but so was the rest of them. They all got clapped off the pitch, whether they acknowledged us or not. We all sang Liverpool at the end of the game to know that we're still there with you lads. You've still got 37 and if we need, you need our adrenaline for you to give us the trophies and what we want as fans. Um, so it was a case of let's get behind them instead of absolutely tearing them down, which people did on social media. Um, but but I'll move on because we've spoken about social media before on other podcasts and it can be a bit um, mentally draining to have to deal, even even if it's not attacking you, just listening to, to stuff that people say. Um, I'll move on to the Tiago injury because the Tiago injury was... I think we were already deflated at the fact that we were, you know, we were losing. And then you saw Thiago go off and the groans and all. it was just like, oh, not again. Um, I mean, what did you think about Thiago's injury personally in, in the term of what you think it'll do for us in the future? But also I want to ask you, Thiago has not been, he's, he's a very, he's a massive and vital player for Liverpool. But, are you getting a little bit bored with how many injuries he's getting? I know it's not his fault, but he's he's not really as reliable as we all thought, is he? I just wanted to point out something you said about the, the Fulham game too, which I thought was a, was quite a good point and something I didn't mention at the start um, before we put a, a pin in that one completely. Like, this spell after we, after Nunez scores um, and I, like you, was thinking, all right, this is going to be one of those sort of typical Liverpool games where we play terrible and we win. Uh, but the level of sloppiness in our play in those sort of last 15 minutes or 20 or however long it was when you throw in that at the time was incredibly frustrating and also quite surprising, to be honest. And um, I think it was one of them where it's like we, we almost didn't deserve to have that kind of sort of salvage act at the end because it, there was just no sort of cohesion in the play. Um ultimately, and and it was too desperate, like you say, but with Thiago, yeah, like, as I said last week on here, when we were previewing the season, that if he stays fit the whole season, then I think we might be able to nick the league, Um, and then literally the very first game, he gets injured for six weeks, so that's my biggest jinx of the season, um, out the way already, Um, but guess before the season had even started, really. Um, But at the same time, that kind of shows how big a blower I, I kind of think this is, really. I think he's a difference maker when he does play. Um, and, you know, you look at it. So I, I had a look at the games that he kind of looks likely to miss if you sort of take six weeks from from that game. And you've got Palace, obviously, um, on Monday. Then United, Bournemouth, Newcastle, Everton and Wolves. And then sort of like... It, properly like six weeks after you've got Chelsea and it's one of them where it's like if it's a player who doesn't tend to get injuries or has kind of a good track record in terms of covering you like he can probably make it for that Chelsea game which will obviously be very very difficult 
but with with it being Thiago, I would have thought that maybe be more caution um, on on Liverpool's part, and that he probably missed that one too. So, even though a lot of those games, um, maybe with with the exception of of Chelsea, you look at them and say Liverpool definitely should win. Chelsea is one of them where it's like it's maybe a bit up in the air. I think could be a draw like it was last season. You you also think back to the games like Brentford and Brighton last year when Thiago wasn't playing and Liverpool clearly missed them really and just the a sloppiness crept in that was costly. Um and in terms of the second part of your question and about like his sort of track record, you know, it's this it's just this thing, isn't it, where you're sitting watching the game and just almost completely out the blue, you could just see him gesture to the bench or he gets injured in the warm up and it just seems like an inevitable thing, like the slightest thing, and he and he's kind of done. And it's frustrating because of how important he is. First of all, it's frustrating because of the regularity of it and that feeling of inevitability that I mentioned. And it's always difficult, isn't it? I mean, the second part of your question, it's kind of similar to how we talk about Cater, really. It's like you can never blame a player for getting injured, but it does sort of have to impact your view of them in a way that that's just what's going to happen. I think it's going to, you know, when Thiago eventually moves on from Liverpool, it's going to be something that kind of determines really how much we view this sign as, as a success and, and how kind of it goes with it now. Because I, I believe, obviously his first season was quite difficult. I believe when he's played, he's been one of our best players and, and he's shown why we took the, took the chance when we played him. But how much is that kind of, is that gamble that we took paying off? I think overall it has, um, but it's one of them where it's, it's certainly not clear cut because the, the the amount of time he spent on the sidelines now is is quite staggering, really, um, in the space of sort of like what is it, just two and a, two and a bit seasons, um, and it's one of them as well. I think Liverpool obviously have built a squad and and built a first team that envisages him being in it, and there maybe isn't necessarily the, the kind of continu- contingency plans in there that you'd ideally want so it's a problem from that from that point of view as well so yeah it's a tricky one and I just think yeah it, seeing him sort of I think it was around 50 minutes into the game whenever walking over to the bench I'm just like oh Jesus Christ it, it's happening again and unfortunately I had hope because we saw Matip and Case pretty much avoid any sort of serious layoff last season um I had hope based on that that we might be able to pull off something similar with Thiago. But obviously now that kind of kills your optimism a bit and you feel like, you know, he comes back um in in September, late September, and plays a few games, probably maybe sort of ten games or something, and then you're starting to think, hang on, when's the next injury coming, basically? And you just gotta hope. Because I think he when it when he's fit, he plays hands down, um, and he's crucial. But you just gotta hope that the injuries <laughs> Common opportune moments, it looks like. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I know that basically how to replace him in the squad It w- was going to be my next question, but I'll actually ask you that when you come to your predicted lineup, and I'll ask you why you've chose the player that you're going to do. So I think we should move on to, obviously, Monday night's game. We play Palace 8pm kickoff on the Monday night, and I don't know about you, but I absolutely despise 8pm Monday kickoffs. I can't stand them. It feels like, you know, we were the we were the first. I mean, obviously Arsenal, Crystal Palace played, so it's even longer for them. But we're the first on the half twelve on the Saturday 
and the last to play this weekend after a really bad game that you've played. I just want Liverpool to play on the weekend straight away, get it out the way and rectify how crafty we're basically. Um, I, I'm not a massive fan of 8pm kickoffs, but hopefully uh, Anfield will be, you know, rocking at least first game back, get behind the lads. Um, but speaking of Palace, they did open their game uh, against Arsenal last weekend. What did you think of them? Because I thought to myself when I watched that, um, I just thought before the game, oh, that's that's not an easy one, that, you know, for, for Arsenal. You know, we're all bigging them up. They've made some really good signings. But I wouldn't want Crystal Palace, you know, to, to be my opening game. Um, it turns out that Crystal Palace had absolutely nothing, did they? There was no edge to them. It, it seemed like Arsenal pretty much had their way. What, what did you make of uh, Palace? I think it was interesting with Palace, like... I saw a lot of people sort of tipping them for a lot of success this season and, and gaining a few sort of positions in the table um, compared to last season. And I think the job that Vieira did sort of in his first season was very, very impressive. And what he's building at the club looks exciting. But like, if you think about, you know, they lost one of the best players, really a player who could have been like a team of the season kind of player last season in Gallagher. They lost him and... They brought in Ducore, who's very highly rated, but I don't think he necessarily fills the void that's left by Gallagher. And then you also wonder, like, net, have they improved that much fr- from where they were last season? So that kind of surprised me a bit. Um, I think with the game, so you have Arsenal sort of came out and started very fast, and I think that caught Palace on the back foot. I thought the defending uh, for the goal from the corner was, was pretty terrible. I think that's a weakness that Palace had last season, if I'm remembering that right from... Um, sort of the commentary but I think they did all right in the game I think I expected better from them but they also had two big chances um, I think there was the, the Edward chance uh, where he basically puts a header I think he he either missed or put it straight at Rams there was about six yards out um, and then Eze had, the, had another chance too where I think it's one of them where he just doesn't like open his body up enough and um, before he try, tries to finish um, so who knows the outcome uh, could have been different I think if I'm remembering the game, right, Arsenal's second goal didn't come to like the closing stages. So, you know, maybe it, it, it might have worked out differently. Um, and I think Palace had sort of a lot of possession as well when they were trying to chase a way back into the game. But yeah, a little bit underwhelmed um, by them on the whole, I'd say. Uh, and it wasn't a, a performance that kind of made me sort of really worried um, for Monday, even though I still recognise, obviously, um, the threat that they can pose because... You know, certainly last season they were sort of taking points off some some top teams. Yeah, I think the thing with Palace with me is they just, I thought they'd be a bit more aggressive out of possession. Um, you, you know, you mentioned two chances there. Aside from the really good save by Ramsdale, I genuinely don't think Palace did anything that really bothered Arsenal. They never got after Arsenal. The closing down wasn't great. And I know you mentioned Arsenal obviously get the, the deflected goal, which is the second, and it's not till the late stages. But at no stage in that game did I think, oh, oh Palace are going to go on and, and get an equaliser here. It was very, it was like a bit of a walk in the park um, for Arsenal for, from when I was watching it. You know, I watched it Friday night, Premier League's back. You're at home. I expected, you know, for them to have something about them, and it didn't. They, they just didn't come out that. And 
you can look at it in two ways. I think Palace, you know, it could be a good time for Liverpool to play them if they're not at the races and they've not got the concentration. But at the same time, there's no way that, that Patrick Vieira is not saying to them, we need a response from you against uh, Liverpool at Anfield. They've had a really bad result to get after them. Here's the weaknesses. Here's what Fulham did. And Palace are a very strongly built team, very tall. And the games that we struggled in, Fulham, Brentford away, um, are, are, are teams that can bully it a bit. And I've never seen Virgil van Dijk get bullied the way he did by Mitrovic. So I think also for Palace might be a bit scary for Liverpool in terms that you should be expecting some sort of um, comeback, fight back a bit, just a bit to get themselves up and behind and, and for the game um, and to rectify basically the, whatever they did wrong on that Friday night. Um, but I'll I'll go into how you see Liverpool lining up and how we can improve on the game against Fulham. Um, I'm assuming that quite a lot of your positions are going to be the same, but I'll let you go through it. What is your starting lineup against uh, Palace? Yeah, so I've got the same back five that we saw against Fulham. Alisson, Trent, Matip, Van Dijk, Robertson. Um, I've gone for Fabinho, Elliot and Cater as my midfield three. I'm not sure whether Klopp would actually do that. Um, I'm not sure. I don't think it's one we've actually seen before, to be fair. I think he's more likely to do Fabinho, Cater, Milner or Fabinho, Elliot, Milner. I thought that that Elliot was very, very good uh, when he came on against Fulham, to be honest. I think he looked like the player we were sort of seeing at the start of last season. So that, so that was encouraging. I think the plan with sort of the Thiago injury and across these six weeks is going to be mostly using Keita in his position because I think he would have rotated with him anyway. But to make sure then Keita is not taking on too much workload, I think you'll probably see a fair bit of Milner there and maybe a few glimpses of uh, Fabio Cavallo. Um, and for the front line, uh, I've gone with Salah, Nunez and Diaz. Um, I assume you, you agree with me on this, that you think, based on what we've seen so far, uh, Nunez should be the one who's kind of in that centre-forward position because Firmino didn't play particularly well against Fulham. And, and both times when Nunez has come on, he's been such an outlet in terms of um, finding the, kind of the spaces and, and, and having the opportunities. And it, it's kind of been crazy, the, the difference that he's made in that regard. And it looks pretty clear-cut, doesn't it? I mean, it seems like Klopp, wanted to ease him in a little bit, but it doesn't look like he can do that now, maybe. No, and I mentioned that with the Jota injury. I said if one of them is not up to speed, not getting the goals, you're going to have to re- rely on the other one. Um, and, and after the weekend, there was absolutely no way Nunes isn't starting this game. If he's not starting this game, there will be groans around Anfield, probably, because he, when he came on, he was the difference maker. Him and Harvey Elliott were the two difference makers. Um and I, you know, I I don't see how you don't play him because I think with with Palace's backline they don't have a lot of pace. So Darwin Nunes on the shoulder anyway is going to be really really scary. I also think that they're also very tall players, obviously like I've mentioned, and I'm absolutely sound with Trent Alexander Arnold just whipping these crosses in and letting Nunes attack them. Um, and hopefully we we'll, we'll see and put one in the back of the net from you know um, a header or whatever. I just like you mentioned for me, Nunes had had well had more of an impact in the 20 minutes that he came on than Bobby Firmino did in in any part of of that football game. 
And maybe this this game suits Nunes more than it does Bobby Firmino. Um, so yeah, a hundred percent Nunes for me in that front line. The only other change I was going to go with is, um, I, I play Cater on the left, but I'm not too sure he's going to get rid of Jordan Henderson. And Jordan Henderson's got a lot of hate over this this last week. Um, and I'm not getting into it, but he's your captain, and it's your first home game of the season. I'm not too sure he gets left out. It's also a case of balance. Cater's more the advanced player. Um. I'm not too sure you can rely on Cater to do a really good defensive job if you've also got Harvey Elliott in there. Once again, now I'd really like to see Harvey Elliott. I think Harvey Elliott was him and him and Nunes were obviously the two game changers, and I'd love to see Harvey Elliott off that right hand side of midfield. It's whether Jurgen Klopp would do that, um, and I'm trying to think what Jurgen Klopp would actually do more than what I want to see in this moment, um, and I, I just don't see him. I think Jurgen Klopp's one of those players, one of those managers who will make a statement by everyone hating on a player, and I'm still picking him. And when he does something that proves he's all wrong, Jurgen Klopp will say, "Oh, did you see how well Jordan Henderson played today? He was our best player." So for me, um, I think Jordan Henderson will start, Fabinho obviously, and and also Naby Keita. Um, but but once again, it's it's a case of. Carvalho I'd like to see but I don't think he's in the pecking order above Harvey Elliott so Harvey Elliott would be the one where I think maybe he'd play um, and if he does I, I know we tried playing Henderson on the left side of midfield but I think Chelsea it was and it's fair to say that that Jordan Anderson wasn't great in that position so um, time will tell um, I, I don't know what what do you think do you think I'll actually ask you on before we wrap up and get a score prediction, what do you think on Jordan Henderson first? Um, in terms of, do you think Harvey Elliott should be playing over him in this moment? I, I would, I would play Elliott for this one, um, just on the basis of how they played last week. To be honest, it felt like to me, in terms of what we want from that kind of right-sided uh, central midfielder and that kind of attacking impetus you want from them, I think Elliott looked like he was doing a better job in that regard. I thought Henderson was actually quite good when he played as um, a number six in the game, but I'd stick with uh, Fabinho there. I think you're right in what you're saying in terms of the likelihood is that we would see um, probably Milner or, or Henderson um, alongside Fabinho and Keita rather than... Because it, it maybe you are right that the balance doesn't feel like it's completely there uh, with that trio. Um, I, I think it would be quite exciting to see. So... It's a difficult one, isn't it? Like I see the merits of kind of like standing by him, definitely. And, you know, in this particular moment, and my expectation, if you if you ask me, if kind of a predicted rather than preferred would be that Henderson is going to play. I also think there's a case to be made though on kind of the flip side that you want to make three or four changes from that game last week if he's going along the school of thought of what I said earlier, like he wants to kind of inspire a reaction from the players. I wouldn't necessarily send out something very similar to, to what we saw. I think I would maybe make a few more changes, make it a bit more sort of meritorious in terms of what we actually saw at Craven Cottage. And, and maybe that's the best way to kind of manage it in terms of the dynamics in the squad. But yeah, there's a few sorts of, um, I, I think that, I don't think it's too much of a dil- dilemma or it shouldn't be uh, with Nunez and Firmino. But I think um, in midfield, there could be some slightly bigger decisions to be made. Yeah, and, and only time will tell. I mean, Jürgen Klopp does have his 
press conference tomorrow morning so we'll see how bad Thiago's injury actually is. It's expected six weeks, but who knows? Um, the quicker he comes back, the, the better for Liverpool. That sorts that, that midfield out a little bit more. Like you said, if Harvey Elliott plays, I'll be really excited for that. I, you know, I'd love to see Harvey Elliott. I'm just trying to think of what actually Jurgen Klopp will be thinking, and I'm not too sure you leave your captain out of the first home game of the season. That that's just my perspective. Why I've put Jordan Henderson in there, um, but we've gone through the the lineup there. Uh, so David, give us your score prediction. Yeah, so I'll go for three nil to Liverpool because I'm feeling quite optimistic for this one, based on what I said before about there being an overreaction after Fulham. I'm backing Liverpool in this one in front of like Anfield under the lights, etc., to kind of remind us that they're actually very a very, very good team. Um and and win this one comfortably. But you know, fingers crossed. Um because there needs there does definitely need to be a reaction to that really, really poor result obviously on the opening day. Yeah, the the most definitely does. And in front of fifty thousand odd fans, you should you should hope that there's a reaction. Um I I, I think I said two one in terms of I think Palace will put one on us. I think they'll be up for it as well because obviously they didn't play very well against Arsenal. So I expect them. And they're also a bit of a bogey team. They have done well against us recently. Um, they're a very, they're quite hard team to, to break down, play very, very well. Um, but saying that, I also want Liverpool. I want Nunes. I want Diaz. I want Salah to score. Um, so I will go 4-1, even though I was going to go 2-1. I'll go 4-1 Liverpool. A big reaction from the Reds so everyone can calm down just a little bit. Um, and hopefully, uh, well, hopefully it's a starting point for the Reds to, to move on and hopefully, you know, kind of go for it in the league. Um, can't be dropping points twice in a week, surely. Uh, I hope not anyway. But this has been this week's episode of Reds Unrestricted. If you are watching it on Spotify or other platforms, uh, please do go give this a five-star rating. We'd really appreciate it. And obviously, we will be back after that Palace game, hopefully all happy, smiling after Liverpool have come off a triumphant win. Until then, up the Reds.